This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Wednesday, October 27th. Coming up, Missouri's Attorney General has sued Kansas City and other local governments over their mask mandates, saying they're government overreach. But his lawsuits are costing some places thousands of dollars. And Midwest chestnut farmers aren't able to keep up with demand for their crop. In four or five hours, we, we had over 100 orders. Uh, I mean, there's tremendous demand for chestnuts. We'll hear more about the growing chestnut industry in Missouri. But first, some headlines. Johnson County parents took their fight over school masks to the Kansas Supreme Court yesterday, and the lawsuit could have wide implications. The court could decide whether limits on how the governor and local officials can respond to emergencies are constitutional. Abigail Sensky of the Kansas News Service has more. The attorney general's office argues a Johnson County court went too far by using the school mask challenge to say the entire law is unconstitutional. The law says courts must quickly hear challenges to health orders like mask mandates. Kansas Supreme Court Justice Eric Rosen says that could disrupt the court system. Am I to drop everything? Take 72 hours off, take 10 days off of that trial that has been set and decide that matter? How does that not interfere which is the the very basic functioning of the district court's duties. The Kansas Supreme Court will now decide whether to let the lower court's ruling stand, which would give back some emergency powers to the governor and local officials. Kansas City's women's professional soccer team formally announced its plans for a privately funded 11,000-seat stadium yesterday. Greg Eklund has more for KCUR. The stadium will be located on the South River front of the Missouri River near the city market. Even as a tenant next year of Children's Mercy Park in Kansas City, Kansas, co-owner Angie Long says it's important for the women's team to eventually have its own venue. Everything becomes about that team first, right? The, the way, the, the branding, the way that it's laid out, how it is designed, who the sponsors are, controlling of your schedule. This Saturday, In its final game of the season at Legends Field in Kansas City, Kansas, the team will announce its franchise name for the future. This summer, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt sued multiple local governments over their mask mandates. And with those lawsuits have come hefty legal bills for some of those local governments. That's the focus of another story from Steve Vakrat. He's the investigative editor of NPR's Midwest Newsroom, based here at KCUR. And he's here with me to talk about it. Hi, Steve. Hi, thanks for having me. So who has Eric Schmidt sued and why? So he has sued Kansas City, Jackson County and its health department, Columbia Public Schools, uh, St. Louis and St. Louis County so far. And uh, the, 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 the one against Columbia Public Schools, there was actually an attempt to try to make whatever happened in that case apply to everyone, all school districts in Missouri. But the reason he's suing them is because he thinks that the mask order uh, is a example of government overreach. He argues in his lawsuits that the masks aren't that helpful. Um, There's a line in it that says that, you know, we can't let the cure be worse than the disease. Um, Although, you know, the there there are health authorities and the jurisdictions that have imposed or adopted these uh, mask orders. They credit masks uh, with slowing the spread of the uh, COVID-19 virus and its highly contagious variant, the Delta variant. So how much have these lawsuits cost local governments in Missouri? So it depends, um, some more than others and some none at all. I mean, 
Kansas City and St. Louis, uh, City of St. Louis, they use their own attorneys uh, to handle these lawsuits. Uh, but the other ones that we mentioned, they have all had to hire outside lawyers. They don't have lawyers on staff or enough of them to handle this. Um, and so, for example, St. Louis County, they've hired the Lewis Rice Law Firm and the bills that I got back totaled close to $170,000 to handle the litigation, which started in around May. Um, there are smaller amounts uh, for the other, for the Jackson County Health Department, for example, and Columbia Public Schools. But I should say that those bills only were through the end of August, that the billing cycle and when I had requested them uh, doesn't include September and October. Um, and the litigation is dragged on through those months. So the bills are going to actually be higher uh, later on. And we'll probably follow up on that. Just to establish some context for people, is that a lot of money for a city or a county or a school district to spend on legal bills? Do you know? Well, it depends on how you choose to look at it. I mean, in the context of like a large city budget, um, you know, that those dollars by themselves aren't staggering, but that's th hundreds of thousands of dollars that you can't use for something else, uh, for some other service that's more broadly applicable. And these local governments are kind of strapped for cash anyway, right? Right. I mean, health departments tend not to be flush with cash and particularly, you know, they are taking on uh, in the context of a pandemic, they're taking on a lot more responsibilities than the uh, uh, than, than they usually do. Now, of course, there's federal money that's made its way to these health departments. Um, but, you know, in the case of Jackson County Health Department, you know, $17,000 that it's going to have to pay to the Shakardi and Bacon law firm, which is still the biggest law firm in Kansas City, that's $17,000 that they can't use for something else like, say, testing or, uh, you know, any other function that you can think of within a health department. The criticism about these lawsuits is, and I quote a uh, public official basically saying this, is that they think that Eric Schmidt is trying to burnish his political credentials uh, because he's running for the U.S. Senate. He is part of a crowded Republican primary to replace Roy Blunt. And in Missouri, the primary may be somewhat close to the general election since Democrats have not had much luck statewide in recent years. Um, and so the, the primary is very competitive and the candidates tend to veer more conservative. And of course, as we know, the issue of masks and uh, combating the coronavirus isn't merely just a public health issue. It's also become a uh, fairly politicized one as well. What has Schmidt said about why he's filing these lawsuits. Has he indicated that there are any political motivations? No, he says that it's an exercise of, you know, trying to keep local governments within what he thinks their authority is. What he says publicly is that it is something that is worth the attorney general's time to fight these lawsuits. And what I will say is, you know, the attorney general's office, he's using his own lawyers uh, within the on the attorney general's staff. So they're salaried lawyers. So it's not costing the taxpayers additional money in the context of the attorney general because he's using his own staff, kind of like Kansas City was when I mentioned them earlier. Um, he hasn't had to use like outside law firms to help uh, move these lawsuits along. And why is it that these other governments have had to use outside law firms? Is it because they don't have enough attorneys on staff to handle a, a case like this? That's the case for some of them. Anytime 
I shouldn't say any time, but a lot of times when you get sued, you want to have an outside attorney uh, because there is a feeling at times, and I'm not speaking directly for any of the defendants in this case, but as a general practice, you hire outside lawyers so that they can look at the case uh, uh, fairly objectively, that they can you know, cover any blind spots that you may have when you're defending yourself or when a lawyer within your organization is defending yourself. Uh, so it's generally when these lawsuits happen against local governments, it's a combination of those reasons. If these local governments and the Missouri Attorney General's office are using in-house lawyers, it's not costing the money in terms of extra cash that they're paying to outside lawyers. But could there be an opportunity cost in terms of this is time that they could be using for something else? Sure. Arguably, that would be the case. You know, I mean, look, cities and counties get sued for all kinds of various things, but this is just another one. And it's, you know, another government agency. And with the attorney general's office, are they going after mask mandates or are they going after, like, say, predatory businesses that attorney generals uh, typically have been uh, used for, you know, to protect the public's interest? I mean, this attorney general would argue that that mask orders are in the public's interests. Um, but, you know, you, 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 the, the, the point of the question is well taken. I mean, this is time that can be used to do and handle other things that is now being diverted and used to contest uh, uh, this highly visible and um, fairly controversial bit of uh, litigation that's, you know, I mean, particularly in the state of St. Uh, in St. Louis County, where it's, you know, this litigation's dragged on for you know, since May, at least, and it's still still going on. Steve Vakrat is the investigative editor of NPR's Midwest Newsroom. Thanks, Steve. Thank you for having me. We'll be back after a message from our sponsors. At UMB Private Wealth Management, a part of UMB Bank, your story is our focus. UMB works closely with you to tailor a plan that meets your goals through every stage of life and changing economic climates. UMB's customized financial planning services and resources help you accumulate, preserve, and protect wealth, giving you peace of mind about your future. UMB, everything we do starts with you, from our high-touch service to our robust suite of wealth management products. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Americans eat more than seven and a half million pounds of chestnuts every year. Most are imported from Italy, China, and Korea. Yet they could easily be grown in the Midwest. Harvest Public Media's Jonathan All reports chestnuts are a growing industry in the region and an option for small-scale, low-effort, and profitable farming. Bill Stouffer is driving around his farm near Tipton in central Missouri. He spent decades growing corn and soybeans here. About 10 years ago, he wanted to find a way to make his farm smaller and still profitable, so he could leave his kids some of the land that had been in his family for more than 200 years. And for it not to be a burden for him. And we, so we were looking for a crop that would give high yield per acre uh, and let them make a choice whether they want to manage it or they want to hire management done but have the farm be able to support itself and, be, and 
will continue in the family for uh, years to come. So Stouffer planted 20 acres of chestnut trees in 2009. About three years later, the nuts started to come. Chestnuts grow in spiky burrs and open up in mid-September, dropping the nuts on the ground. Stouffer says when that starts happening, it's a quick turnaround to get them to customers. Generally speaking, they start dropping nuts on the 20th. And uh, so we opened up our website on the 22nd. In, in four or five hours, we, we had over 100 orders. Uh, I mean, there's tremendous demand for chestnuts. Stouffer's family and a few hired high school students can harvest the chestnuts using little wire cages on the end of a stick. The nuts don't require a lot of processing. The Stouffer's can clean, sort, and package the chestnuts in a couple rooms in their barn. The family set up an online store where the nuts go for about $6 a pound and sell out every year. That demand is drawing more people to chestnut farming. The USDA says the number of chestnut farms in the U.S. increased from 591 in 2012 to 841 in 2017. Mike Gold is with the University of Missouri's Center for Agroforestry. Even with a three- to five-year period waiting for new trees to produce nuts, he says chestnut demand is high enough to accommodate more farmers. We also do market surveys of the membership, and we find that prices are very high, demands exceeding supply. Everybody sells out within a couple of weeks. So all needles are pointing in the right direction. The Chestnut Growers of America says the U.S. has 2,500 acres of chestnut farms. It would take more than 10,000 acres just to make up for what's imported every year. Gold says chestnuts also benefit small farmers because of the boutique nature of the crop. The preference for buy local is powerful. So somebody would much prefer to buy a Missouri chestnut if they're from Missouri than, say, a California chestnut and very much more than a, a European or Asian one. Also, our quality is better because they don't, they don't lose any quality in shipping. And there may be room for even more demand. Chestnuts are literally roasting on an open fire at the Missouri Chestnut Roast Festival at the University of Missouri Research Farm in New Franklin. Hundreds of people came out to taste chestnuts and get recipes. Daniel Blake and Elizabeth DeMeyer tasted different breeds of chestnuts for market research. For both of them, it was their first bite. It's hard to compare them to like anything else, really. Like, I don't think I've ever tasted anything like that. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're sweet. The, the texture sort of threw me off because I didn't know what to expect, but yeah. they're good. Yeah. I like them. Promoters hope people will like the flavor so much they will eat them roasted or in recipes like chestnut dressing, hummus, and even chili. Chestnut farming doesn't require expensive equipment like combines and can be profitable on a lot less than the thousands of acres needed to make money on row crops like corn and soybeans. Greg Heindelsman is a chestnut farmer in Lewiston, Missouri. He says they offer a living on as little as five acres compared to a row crop farm that would require hundreds, if not thousands of acres to support a family. If you only have a thousand pounds an acre, the figures are right around $6,000 an acre. Now, granted, all of that isn't profit. You've got some establishment costs and some maintenance as it goes along, but that's still a whole lot better than I can do in grain. <laughs> and Heindelsman says his chestnuts are doing so well, he is planning to take more acres out of corn production next year and plant more chestnut trees. Jonathan All, Harvest Public Media. Harvest Public Media is based here at KCUR. It reports on food systems, agriculture, and rural issues. 
This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. You can read Steve's story on mask lawsuits and Jonathan's story on chestnut farming at kcur.org, where you can also listen to our live stream. If you like Kansas City Today, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app or leave us a voicemail at 816-235-8930 to tell us what you think. Tomorrow, we'll take a closer look at how Missouri is working on the once-a-decade process of redrawing its congressional districts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. Thank you.